Listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. What does it mean to be an American? When we say something is an American value or an ideal, what does that mean? And is our definition changing? Howard Zinn, the historian, has said that America and its history are about the struggle of ordinary people to resist the whims and sometimes tyranny of an elite ruling class that is both greedy and clever in the way it pursues that greed. But Alexis de Tocqueville, a French observer of early America, said America had five values that made it great. Liberty, egalitarianism, individualism, populism, and laissez-faire, or the ability to pursue capitalist economic goals without much government interference. In some ways, you might get 350 million different answers if you asked each American what it means to be an American. And in these fraught times, it's easy to become confused or disillusioned when people you know well seem to express a totally new or different view of what American values are, political or social. Beyond who you know, it's even more disconcerting, perhaps even frightening, when you see whole populations or communities rallying around beliefs under the American flag that fly directly in the face of what you hold dear as an American. So... What to you is being an American all about? Are we a land of aspiration and ideals? Are we a land of equality? Are we a land of inequality? Or are we a land of struggle against woeful tyrannies? And who gets to decide what's American and what's not? Who gets to decide what our values are or should be? I'm going to spend the rest of the time today talking about America and American values. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you think American values are? What do you think they are right now? What do you think they are changing into as we watch the country change pretty profoundly in the era of Trump and a number of other discords that have reared their heads? Uh, And who do you think gets to decide what American values are? Uh, Who do you think gets to tell everybody else what they ought to be struggling to be? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And I have invited two friends of mine into the studio uh, today to help us talk about this subject. Frank Joyce is a local writer and activist. He recently wrote an article for Alternet titled, Are We Being True to Our July 4th Values? Yes, and that's exactly the problem. Frank, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Stephen. How are you? It's great to see you. Also with us is uh, Sandy Barua. He is the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. Uh, Since 2016, the chamber has led a call for the restoration of civility in our public discourse, how we talk about what our values are. Sandy is also a former Bush administration administration, uh, official, helped run the SBA and the late years of the Bush administration, I believe. Sandy, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, the reason I asked the two of you here uh, is— Couldn't find <laughs> any two people more different? Because <laughs> you would right. The visual, by the uh, way, number folks one, you listening, would do is it. just awesome between <laughs> Frank and me. I love it. That's right. Uh, but yeah, you sit on, I think, pretty opposite poles uh, in, in many ways in, in, our, in our society. And in some ways, 
that is uh, a reflection of the great intellectual and and other kinds of diversity that we uh, not just tolerate in America, but try to celebrate uh, when we can. But I think it's it's a sort of critical uh, uh, it's a critical point to to sort of start with in this conversation. Uh, the idea of what America is, what it should be, and the different ways in which we all sort of come to that question. So, Frank, I am going to start with you, uh, and uh, we'll start with the article that you wrote. Uh, okay. That, that the problem is that we're being f- true to our uh, July 4th values. Uh, why is that a problem, and what are those values that you are taking issue with? Uh, well, what, the point I tried to make in the article, Stephen, is that particularly if you look at our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, for example, what you see, uh, I think, defines our political conversation to this day. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes like to say, well, the number one core value of the U.S. when you drill all the way down to the bedrock is hypocrisy, <laughs> because in the Declaration of Independence, you have lofty ideals of equality, but you also have references to indigenous people as merciless savages. In the Constitution, of course, you enshrine slavery uh, and its defense, etc. And so we've been locked into a very narrow debate, in my view, for a long time. The the alternative to that, and I'll put in a shameless plug here, <laughs> tomorrow night at the African American History Mu- Museum, starting at 6, there will be a program celebrating the life of the late Vincent Harding, mm-hmm. who was an intellectual leader of the civil rights movement uh, and, and a real pioneer. And Vincent uh, used to, had an expression that is widely quoted, and he said, I am a citizen of a country that does not yet exist. And to me, Hmm. that is the kind of other alternative here of can we break out of this prison that Mm -hmm. we're in of a very narrow conversation and look over the horizon to something truly visionary and new. Yeah. Uh, The hypocrisy you point out in the Declaration and the Constitution and in almost all of the founding documents, uh, you and I have had conversations right here on on the show before about how troublesome those are and how they continue to sort of confound uh, efforts to to actually reflect right. the values that are that are stated in there, but isn't it a isn't it at least a step in the right direction that we have those foundational documents and those sort of lofty ideals themselves uh, that they are there for us to say this is what we ought to be, uh, and is that is that something that sort of separates America and the idea of America from other countries that. Never maybe even aspire to those things. Well, I I think it's a great question. Um, Of course, uh, human beings, homo sapiens, have the capacity to be aspirational. Sure. (laughs) We can look ahead and say, uh, you know, we can do better. I want to lose weight. Right. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I wanna, right. right. All of that. And there's some correlation between how those aspirations are stated and then what actually happens. I have reached the conclusion, and you know, I was raised a normal white guy in the suburbs <laughs> like a lot of other people. Right. I, I wasn't born with this point of view. <laughs> yeah. But I'm very fond of a saying from the late Stephen Hawking who said, 
even if human aggression served a rev- an evolutionary purpose at one time, doesn't mean it serves a purpose now. Hmm. And I say that to argue by analogy. Let's say for purposes of discussion, the, these founding documents and aspirations have gotten us to this point. Are they adequate to the challenges that we face at the moment? Right. It's like, I use this analogy. We, we, if you're a certain age, you've probably owned more than one car. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you've ever owned a car, there came a time when you said, am I going to spend $900 to fix this thing one more time, or is it time to get a new car? Sure. I think it's time to get a new car. You think it's time to get a new car. That's a great That's a great analogy. Uh, Sandy, Barua, I wonder uh, first what your reaction is to what uh, to what Frank's saying, but but also sort of where you start the conversation about American vi- values and ideals, what they are and what they should be. Well, I think we're having uh, perhaps almost two different conversations. I, I, I found Frank's, Frank's comments really interesting. But what we're focused on at the Detroit Regional Chamber is, is frankly, a much more rudimentary issue, which is how do we restore civility in our public discourse in a way that allows us as a community, either it be the community of Detroit or the region or the state, uh, to move forward and get things done in a spirit of, of cooperation. Mm-hmm. And uh, because when, you know, uh, you know, I spent... My, almost my entire career uh, in Washington D.C. working uh, working in national politics, and you know during my various tours of duty in Washington, you know as I saw the personal relationship between you know uh, people of, of of opposing parties deteriorate, I saw the ability to get things done deteriorate and in, in, sure. in lockstep. With the with 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 the personal uh, relationships and uh, and it, and we've kind of gone from you know uh, you know uh, you know being an opposition party or having an opposition idea to to having enemies mm-hmm. and and you're seeing that really play out kind of on the national stage in an incredibly. Uh, 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 I can't even think of the right word. Uh, you guys are smarter than me. You can probably come up with a better <laughs> word. Uh, that you know, wh- you know, when you look at you know, there are there are people in our country now that dislike their opposing party so much. Republicans dislike Democrats so much. They like Russia and Vladimir Putin better than they like. The opposing party. The it's like party. okay, so that you know, so that's kind of you know, crossing crossing into a new threshold. So, so we're not we're not trying to take on that big issue. We're trying yeah. to say, okay, listen, how do we start working together better right here in our own backyard? So, so in some ways, then it it, it might be fair to say that you would you would characterize civility and the ability to talk with people with whom we disagree about our differences and come to sort of some solution. You would say that that. Is an American value or should be? Yeah, I, I listen. I I think that's the only way that America has 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 progressed. Right? Is you know, and you know, you, you can use a, a line from Ronald Reagan, right? And Ronald, what did Ronald Reagan used to say? He said, "Listen, I'm happy to take seventy percent of what I." W- 
what I want today, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to trying to argue for 100% of what I want today. Will I go back and try to get the last 20, 30% of what I want? Absolutely, another day. But you know, let, let's let, let's let's get the 70% that we can all agree on uh, right now. And so when you think of, when I think of civility, I mean, to me, is that in order to get to that point where you can get to the 70% agreement, you need to have some basis of you know a common set of facts and a common set of understanding. So people need to be able to listen to the other person, respect that other person's views, underst- put, put yourself, at least for a moment in time, in that person's uh, viewpoint, uh-huh. uh, because right now we're just spending a lot of time talking at each other and not really with each other. And that's one of the reasons why I like your show so much, Stephen, is that you know you and I have different political philosophies, but at the end of the day, we probably agree on more things than we disagree on. And I just love the way that you bring lots of different voices into the conversation and treat everyone with respect. Yeah, yeah. Can I uh, pick up on the word yeah, civil? For yeah, just Frank. I was going to say, talk about civility versus incivility, and sort of the history of that tension with regard to change and changing American values. Well, the the most obvious example is that in addition to the so-called Revolutionary War, the defining event of American history is the Civil War. And to me, the significance of that, uh, and ultimately it supports the point of view I'm advocating here, is that There was a piece in the New York Times recently celebrating the 14th Amendment, for Mm -hmm. example, Mm -hmm. the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. amendments. Right. But the thing to keep in mind, I think, particularly for somebody like Sandy, who's trying to bring some civil conversation, is that the default position is that in order to get to the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, up to a million people had to kill each other. Hmm. That's the, that's the DNA of the country. Mm-hmm. The Constitution did, the Missouri Compromise didn't work. The Constitution didn't allow what other nations, by the way, you know, England abolished slavery, and they don't even have a Constitution. Right, right. <laughs> so we have the roots of the United States in violence, the violence of settler colonialism, the violence of slavery, the violence of the Revolutionary War, the violence of the Civil War, I would argue the reason we need new values is that the values we have had mean that we that's the mean to which we regress. Right, right. Our default is violence, and how we break that cycle is no easy task. Yeah, Sandy, so, uh, how do you deal with that tension yeah. between our history and this ideal? So I, I think one of the points that Frank is is appropriately raising is that, you know, massive change when it's been necessary has oftentimes, not just in our country, but in, in humanity at large, has required some sort of, of violence, right? Conflict, I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, conflict, violence to do that. The, the challenge with today's society is that everything is a fight. Everything is viewed through that lens. And, you know, so when, you know, when disruptive change is needed, if, you know, rights aren't being respected, if, if, if people, if human beings aren't treated like human beings and, and, and we have these major conflicts, sometimes it does take that kind of violent uh, 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 experience to, to, to get to the other side. But it shouldn't be our everyday course of behavior and action. And that's kind of what 
you know, many of us feel that it has come to today that, that you know, look at our political advertising. Everyone says, I'm going to fight for you. Right. So, okay, so wait a minute. I'd, I'd rather you kind of work collaboratively with other people to get <laughs> things done. Uh, and what does it mean to fight for me? Okay, we are a country of 335 million people. Uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, very different sets of values between those two, sure. those two places. Very different sets of values and you know, where I live now in Detroit. Uh, you know, so what does it mean to fight for me if there's 335 million of me's? But, but the idea is essentially to fight against the person that you think uh, is is your enemy. That's what that appeal right. uh, is to. You know, I, and there's no question that people do seem ready to fight about just about anything. Uh, now I'm thinking of the the video of the guy at the Chicago Cubs game. Uh, taking a ball that what a player threw oh, right. to a kid and giving it to his wife, and the absolute uh, vitriol that was directed at this guy. It turned out he'd given the kid a ball in in an earlier inning, mm-hmm. and it, he wasn't depriving the kid of anything. But people were calling for his head. Uh, I mean, just really aggressively angry uh, at at what he did, and I think that spills over, of course, into our politics. People do seem angrier. Two points on that, Stephen. First, yes, people really are angry and people really are mean. If you read the comments section, for example, of Of of, of uh, anything. Why would you do that? (laughs) Well, you would do it because you would want to really try to understand what is the problem that we're trying to fix here and how does it manifest itself. And that leads me just to make the point that I make a very important distinction between violence and disruption. The civil rights movement did dismantle the system of Jim Crow segregation in the South, and the response to it was violent, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, was not who violent, himself but it was, disruptive. Right. was an advocate of a revolution in values in the United States, was not violent. And that was a nonviolent movement. And I do believe in nonviolence and think it is absolutely a necessary part of the solution. However, people define the problem. Yeah. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue our conversation about American values. And we want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We already got a lot of folks queued up to talk about American values. You can join them there or go to Facebook, uh, the WDET page there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you in the conversation. We will be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about American values, what they are, what you think they should be, and whether you think maybe they're changing or ought to change. Uh, My guests are Frank Joyce, a local writer and activist. He recently wrote an article for Alternet titled, Are We Being True to Our July 4th Values? Yes, and that's exactly the problem. I'm also joined by Sandy Barua, president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. And since 2016, the chamber has led a call for the restoration of civil public discourse and how we talk about American values 
what we think they are and what we think they should be. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. we got a lot of folks queued up here on the phones. Let's get to Chuck in Brighton. Chuck, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, and good morning. Hey. Uh, just one comment. Uh, the thing not mentioned uh, in history or in the current conversation is a value that Americans have expressed by their behavior, and that is curiosity. Hmm. And if you ask the question why in a polite way, uh-huh. you'll find that uh, hostility will dissolve. When you say curiosity, Chuck, what do you uh, expand on that a bit? I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. I'm following exactly what you're what you're saying. Well, some people uh, left Europe to arrive in this country because they were being pers- persecuted. Others thought they could make some money, and others were curious. And mm-hmm. the expansion of this nation uh, is the consequence of curious. What's on the other side of that big river? Mm-hmm. Uh, is Michigan really a mosquito-infested swamp, or can we, you know? live there. Uh, It's that kind of curiosity, the curiosity to learn about things we don't know about, Mm. to to expand, uh, you know, why do we have values? Right, right. Chuck, I I, I really appreciate the call and the the comments. I'm not sure I've ever thought of it that way, but but I really appreciate uh, your perspective, and I think that's a really, it's a really interesting lens to try to use to understand uh, this country and sort of where it comes from and sort of where it's going to. Uh, let's go to Tim in Detroit. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. Hey, how are you? Most intriguing question, uh, which makes me say, between you and I, uh, whose values from who uh-huh. are actually in, I guess, the melting pot of this country. If I talk about you or I descendants, mm-hmm. uh, 350 years worth, you know, we've built this country, we've been forced to be here, and our values are uh, not the primary. If we talk about building up the Pacific Northwest and the West Coast, we're talking about the Asian person mm-hmm. whose values and lifestyle was not necessarily appreciated or valued. If we talk about the East Coast, we're talking about the multiplicity of uh, East, East European immigration, the Jewish uh, contingent and all those others who came into the uh, Statue of Liberty um, um, aspect of the country, that part. Now, your guest hit it nail on the head. There seemingly is always a, a customary uh, level of violence that always greets the, ne- the masses and or the races. If it's not through control, it's through fear. It's to put everybody in one room and then say, hey, you said this about that person, I don't like this about you, et cetera, et cetera. And unfortunately, fear-mongering and the racism aspect is too much a part of this culture, which has a much better way of going. But I would also say, to really get the true answer to whose culture is, is, is really Americans, let's not leave out the true first native indigenous American. Sure. He's not out there to speak, to say, hey, it's mine, you guys took it. Conversely, I'll tell you who's concepts and values it is not the angry white male who likes to get out in the fields in the in the parks and have their rallies emblazoned by trump's nonsense and rhetoric and the self-serving small psychotic uh aspect of yeah i'm the white male i've really got 
access to everything, but I'm losing out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tim, I, Tim, that's a really, uh, it's a really interesting sort of survey of a lot of different uh, interpretations and perspectives on on what American uh, values are or are not. You know, I wonder, I wonder uh, often whether the the experiment that that America sort of represents is maybe too tough. Uh, because of those differences and because of uh, the ways in which some people have been left out purposely, uh, the ways in which uh, people have tried to sort of force their way to the top. Uh, is it is it too much strain for uh, the republic? I don't think it's too tough. I think it's too tough only to the degree that we're not honest with ourselves in the way that the previous caller was. I mean, the founding values are white male property owning that's supremacy. The, that's the a fact, Jack. Of the country. Yes. <laughs> so that's the starting point. And to not acknowledge that makes it, in my view, perpetuates the cycle of not solving the problem because the problem hasn't been properly defined. This gets in, back to in your the first idea place. of we need a new car. Right. We need <laughs> right. a new car. Right. Sandy. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, one I th- I think uh, both callers were, uh, brought up really interesting points, but I think yeah, I think what they I think they'd both agree on is that America is advanced citizenship, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, American democracy, American citizenship is not a 101 class. It is an advanced class, right? <laughs> so as you say, we are, we are living a 250-year a experiment here uh, in this nation. And, and, and what is the goal of the nation? The goal of the nation is to seek a more perfect union. Not that we are perfect, but we're constantly in seeking of this of this more more perfect union. And when you combine the seeking of a more perfect union with this idea that America is really advanced citizenship, you know we're going to have mistakes and setbacks. Some mistakes obviously have lasted for generations uh, and that mm-hmm. we're still seeking to resolve. Uh, sometimes like right now, the civil discourse that we see right now to me is like a is a is a is a temporary setback, uh, just like you saw kind of maybe during the McCarthy era uh, in the 1950s. That lasted about four, four and a half years, and we're kind of about two years into this particular moment in, in time. And all of this, you know, uh, American citizenship, uh, the, you know, the, the seeking of a perfect union, is all based on norms. I mean, yes, we have this rule book, which is the Constitution. Yes, we have a government, and yes, we have this representative democracy. But so much of it is based on actually a set of norms that really aren't written down. And so that's why this lack of civility that we're seeing right now is actually deterioration of norms that Hmm. actually so much of our uh, society is built upon, and we don't even realize it. Hmm. Uh, Let's take uh, one more call. We've got about two minutes left. Uh, Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. Hey, Fascinating ahead. discussion, and Thanks. I'm loving it. I won't go into a whole because this this conversation could lead to a whole bunch. of I was going to say we're a little tight yeah. on time, but <laughs> so uh, listen, I'll just ahead. say this. I'll say this. Uh-huh. We. I'm glad you guys mentioned the experiment uh-huh. that is America. The experiment has changed. Right. It was altered. The original experiment that came along with the writing and framing of the Constitution. That experiment has changed. We altered it when we removed God from the equation. We altered it when we allowed the racism thing to uh, not only permeate but to uh, expand and, and, and infiltrate all areas of our society. 
why are we so afraid of looking at the possibility that we need to do a whole new experiment? Wow. With our Aaron. advancements, with the things that we've accomplished as society worldwide, not only in our country, but we have advanced as a, as a species to the point where we should not be so afraid huh. of, let's try something different that yeah. fits us now. Aaron, that's a, that's a really provocative idea. I would love to sit and uh, talk with our guests for another hour about that, but I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> so, uh, Frank Joyce and Sandy Barua, thanks very much for being Thank here you. for this conversation. We'll maybe have you back and continue it later. Uh, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We will see you tomorrow.